21 was a rough year on all accounts. The pandemic brought new aspects of the industry into question. Has MedTech caught up with the age of consumerism? Has your product and company maintained their value? How are you building your network and digital rapport? Today, we reflect on the days of MedTech past and how we build towards the future. All this and more with the MedTech experts. Joining us today from the MedTechSpert team are... Hi, my name is Mike Sperduti, and I am the CEO of Emerge Sales. Hi, this is Ted Newell, CEO of Medical Device Success, home of the Medical Device Success podcast. Hi, this is Scott Alexander. I'm the CEO of Gyrus Marketing. This is Skender Derdy, CEO of the Clinician Exchange. I'm Barbara Strain, principal and owner of Barbara Strain Consulting. Well, it's nice to be in the room with everybody, although it looks like we're holding the same seat. But, um, you know, 2021 was a weird year, had a couple surges and it interfered with a lot of our business. Now we're into 2022. What's going to change? What hasn't changed? What does it look like? Oh, I'll get started and hop in. You know, I'm, I'm always eager. Everybody always smiles. Yeah, Barbara's going to talk again. <laughs> the, the thing of it is, I'm going to come at it from that sort of provider, which is the customer, uh, main customer of what we're sort of talking to our audiences in medical technology and suppliers at different levels and all that sort of thing is remote work is not going to go away anytime soon. It's really predicted that 37% are either gonna still be at home or a hybrid of things. I'm on, in a building two days a week, that sort of thing. So what suppliers and med tech and um, distributors and all still need to think of is, you're not gonna do away with these virtual events and things. So you're still gonna to have to up your game on how you can effectively do sales, education, marketing, all those sorts of things focused on that virtual aspect. Yeah, I, I, building on that, uh, sorry, Scott, I think it's gonna be the transience of the, uh, of the labor pool. I think that's gonna be a constant yeah. theme. That's just going to be here to stay moving in the future, right? Whether it's remote work or just people much more eager to tell, tell their boss to take this job and shove it, um, whatever it may be, I think it's just going to be a continued attrition. And that's going to be a challenge that we're all going to have to figure out. I agree. It's an interesting, I was reading Becker Health today and um, there was a hospital that had recorded or hospital system recording losing 40% of their nursing staff over time. And now they've replaced some of them, but still that that initial loss. I mean, it's just amazing. Well, the average is 21%. Change, right? 21? Wow. 21%. What do you do? Like the decision-making process for that changes because you don't even know who's making decisions anymore, right? Which I think is going to be, we saw that in 21. It's going to keep in 22. Like I actually think that it's incumbent on the sales team to like define the buying process, right? Here's what you need to do. Let's make sure we bring these people in. Because in many cases, if you've been selling in the same hospital for a couple of years, you probably know more of the people than the person sitting in the seat who's in the buying seat, right? It changes the dynamic in a big way. 
Yeah, but and also I would... people people have lost a skill. You know, they they're moved into in a hospital, or if they're within a hospital, they've been moved to another floor. They're asked to do double duty, and I think for med tech, you have to think outside the box and say, how can we be a better partner to help the hospital or the clinic or the ASC, whatever, through this situation with maybe enhanced training, you know, enhanced training tools that people can refer to. Um, I think that we have to think outside the box how we can be better partners. Sorry, Mike. Uh, no, and, and I think, you know, just expanding upon this whole access to decision makers and the buying process, one thing that has monumentally changed and is really, really difficult right now for all of us is getting meaningful conversations with the decision makers, right? Because with all this attrition and all this added workload of having to do, you know, the same amount of work with less staff, with the COVID spikes happening, who's got time to listen to a, a salesperson at this point? And who has time to start a relationship with a new salesperson at this point? Mm -hmm. So where we've been successful in helping scale has been buying relationships. Right now, if you're salespeople, they always used to say, you know, your net worth is equal to your network. And now more than ever, it's true. So the reps that have the cell phone numbers of the buyers that you're looking to talk to, they are all of a sudden the most valuable, coolest kids in the world right now. And so from a recruiting standpoint, what I tell everybody is don't even waste your time, effort, and money on anybody that can't get you immediate introductions on the sales side. That would be the, that's the hiring strategy first and foremost. And then relationship-based selling and referral-based selling has to be the key strategy right now. And, it, it, and my last part, Barbara, is that in conjunction with, if you don't have those relationships and you now need to go in cold, you better be using some sort of, hey, you don't know me, but you know my client, a referral, an introduction. You cannot go cold today with just, hi, my name's Mike. I want to sell you something. That is not work. Yeah, my comment, Mike, was just going to really uh, hone in on what you're saying, because uh, just this week, I know four or five people that are now moving from a position they had for eight years with a certain company. And basically, the other company is really buying their tribal knowledge of who's out there. How can we, you know, form new contacts and things? So you're right on with those comments. You know, one of the things that we saw in 21, and I think it's going to continue, is, is the buying process. We've gone from a selling process to a buying process. And so the buyers, whether you're selling to surgeons, or you're selling to hospital administrators, they, they want to control the, the speed at which they move through the buying process. And they want to be able to do it on their own terms. So, you know, if we think about back when I was at Medtronic, right, if we were the only people who knew about our insulin pumps. The only way you could find out about our insulin pumps is I went and, you know, somebody went and told them about it. And that, that just doesn't work anymore, um, right? If somebody wants to know about insulin pumps, they should be able to get onto the internet. They can research things. They can read white papers and download stuff. And they can take themselves through the buying process up to the point that they actually need to talk to Randy, mm -hmm. the rep, wherever he may be. And I don't see that ever changing because every other industry, every other part of our life we control the buying process up until the point of transaction. 
And it's, it's only because we're slow moving in healthcare that we haven't done this like 10 years ago. Uh, but I don't ever see us going back to the sales rep being the only person who can dole out information about new products or services or whatever the case might be. Yeah, well, MedTech finally caught up with that age of consumerism, right? I mean, it's yeah. happened in every other industry. Every other industry has gone a, from a shift from knowledge from the seller to the buyer. We were the last one to hold out. And, and you're right. I think it's there. Mm -hmm. Sorry, but Mike. You, but Skander, do you think that MedTech, when you say has caught up, do you mean the healthcare professionals have caught up? But I'm not convinced that the med tech, especially companies between zero and 150 million have caught up. I mean, in terms of um, creating a system to help somebody go through that buying process. I, I think, I think 2020 was, it was a real, like a reawakening or awakening for some of these companies to start to, and 2021 especially was kind of one of those things. The only, the only scary part about 2021 is you know, it was a tale of two halves. The first half was was X. The second half was Y. And in Y, we, in, at large part as an industry, we were able to kind of go back to the old ways of practices. Okay. And we saw that a lot with our customers. It was back to in-person, back to one-on-one. -on -one. You know, we don't worry about virtual as much. I can go back to these hospitals. It really didn't happen until December when we had the spikes start to happen with the Omicron variant, where all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, there, there's still some shaking. But going pretty consistently from July till about November, people were operating like it was 2019 again. Um, and so I think, and the only challenge to that is for the smaller companies who were kind of wavering, do I need to change? Should I change? All of a sudden there was this, and it was because the hospitals were largely playing catch up themselves. You know, when, when they're short on labor, they're almost all too happy to have these med tech people come in the door, help them with, with get the procedure room set up, get the trays set up, whatever it takes. So yeah, please come on in because I don't have five surgical techs like I used to. If you want to provide that service to me, I'll take it all day long and we'll worry about vendor credentialing and all the other elements at another date. Um, and that's what we started to notice was these companies who are starting to make adjustments all of a sudden realize, no, 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 we're back to normal. And I don't know if that's a new norm. I don't know if that's going to stay beyond this point when we're finally caught up with all the elective procedures, et cetera. Well, what's happening today though, is so many of those nurses and other healthcare professionals that are in procedure areas, ORs, even value analysis nurses as well, they're all being asked to go out and help in the hospital or the ED or their clinics and things. And some of them are basically just, you know, taking patients somewhere or being sitters because they haven't actually practiced in about 15 years. They may not know how to do their, you know, epics and all the other EHRs and things. And so there's another aspect of just like the empty chairs in, in our, uh, podcast here there's empty offices and empty at remote because they're out there being busy so it's it's a little conundrum and it's going to go on well into 2022 at least for the first six months or so until some new community immunity or something kind of takes hold and, and we can stabilize i i never want to use the word normal again but hey, then they have to Barbara. find all these workers you know, the, and they're, yeah. they're not going to jump back into these jobs. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so and that's I, what I was, I was going to ask you. When you talk to, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. Uh, no, I'll ask my question. I, I was, what I'm focused in on really with all these issues and with all these, you know, people problems, getting to the people, hiring the people is embracing technology now, which, which is an obvious no brainer here, but it's created such an amazing opportunity for smaller companies to level the playing field. I mean, Scott has a program that I've personally used that runs lead generation through LinkedIn. So he's been, he's able to target customers in the background where my organization has to do nothing. And he's bringing people, raising their hand who are interested in what I want to talk about. And so that as now as a salesperson, now I better be brilliant and follow up and have all the skills to close virtually because I'm being teed up by folks like Scott. In addition, what Skender, what his organization is doing is providing these type of podcasts and webinars and mass educational events where people can on their own time be looking at, just like you're listening to this, about getting educated on things that you do need help with that do matter. So I think you know the, the modern age and, and those companies that are embracing digital are really winning the game right now. And the folks that also have the salespeople that can close hot leads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk about, um, like Mike, you were talking a few minutes ago about the value of having the network, having the contacts or whatever. And I think there's also the value in the product and you really need to make sure you can clearly articulate the value you have. It goes to value uh, analysis, Barbara, right? You know, mm-hmm. can make sure you can articulate the value of the product. And can you help somebody by saying, look, if you do this, we're going to save you a minute or two minutes every time you do this with a patient. Well, that adds up. And that's yeah. value in a, in a facility that's understaffed. Yeah, and now more than ever, what Barbara does in terms of positioning is really important, but the, the, the secret sauce is taking that value and being brief and brilliant in its execution yes. of the message, because yeah. mm-hmm. you, you, know, you need to hit it right in their face and get them to respond because you have seconds to capture their attention. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah that messaging is just so critical. Absolutely. One of the things that we've seen, and Mike, thanks for the compliment. You know, one of the reasons why we think that the approach that we take from a marketing perspective is so effective is because it's personal. And, you know, one of the things that we saw, like, as I chart back to April of 2020 to where we are now, one of the things that we've seen is a greater and greater interest in personal connections in marketing, as opposed to company to company, which we saw like pre-COVID and then early part, first 90 days of COVID it was okay to be a company reaching out to a uh, physician or whatever. But today, the most effective channels are, Mike, what you just described. How are you making, how is Mike Sperduti reaching out to John Smith and building a relationship? Um, we, that is far and away. We actually did an analysis for a client uh, the other day, and that was 75% of their uh, lead volume came from personal connections between a, an individual, you know, C-suite individual and a um, a clinician, and we see that's pretty consistent. Um, and so, I actually, uh, with all due respect to the great Mike Spurduti, I would question. I agree with you that bringing people in that have the Rolodex is great, but I can tell you we've got people that don't have a Rolodex that we're starting in new industries 
and through having relevant reasons to talk, having good value propositions, exactly the point that you made, they're, they're creating create, uh, relationships that then turn into sales processes. Yeah, no, um, and, and Scott, I, I totally agree with you. Don't misunderstand me. You can't yeah. just hire, you can't hire reps and just expect them to bring all the business with their relationships. The strategy yeah. is, though, if you're hiring, hire people with relationships first, because mm -hmm. by the way, you'll get ROI a lot quicker, and then you support yeah. them with ongoing tools to build off of those relationships to get referrals to more relationships. And that's by using like your system with LinkedIn. So you're not just yep. cold calling or you're not cold emailing. You're talking about, mm -hmm. hey, I helped this person and you know this person, it's much yep. easier for me to get an audience. Absolutely. And I'm just, I'm just giving it a hard time because it's fun too. So um, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> we all have little hot buttons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. You know, Barbara started this off by talking about the virtual and why it's here to stay. But if you sort of combine that with what Skender was talking about, how where we could have these times where we move back into what's more like seems like the past or the normal, I would say that good virtual skills enhance the eventual face to face skills that you have. So to have the virtual skills is still super important and it can really help accelerate the sales process so that when you are face-to-face, -face, you're getting the most out of that too. Or you could combine the two. You could be face-to-face -face and bring somebody in virtually, yeah. a medical liaison, a product manager, a key opinion leader. And so there's still, it'll, I think it'll become sort of hybrid too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, the rep of today and the rep of the future is the triple threat. They have to be great on the telephone. They have to be great with technology and they have to be great face-to-face. And you cannot, you have to be a three-trick pony. You cannot just go in with one. Sure, absolutely. And, well, and it allows companies to diversify <clears throat> because the reps don't have to, you know, be in the scrubs and then run across, you know, to another building and help write a contract. By virtually, you can bring in certain experts and various things so you can really diversify and utilize other mm -hmm. folks in your med tech company to really help in small spurts that you don't they'll have to fly somewhere, drive somewhere, have a hotel room, run up all those costs and things, but come in quickly at, you know, for 15 minutes, we have the chief clinical officer will help explain uh, you know, those uh, efficacy things in the clinical-based evidence that's going to make a difference, things like that. Okay, so we've really, we've been really hammering on the sales process, the the shortage of personnel, how that's going to affect the market and the sales process, and then, um, you know, the virtual component of all that. What else is going on? I think the other thing that companies are starting to get smarter with and the ones that are doing it right are seeing results is because we're, we're really leaning on virtual platforms here. Um, I have a project that we're doing right now in falls prevention. And you know, our goal is to get to the committee to evaluate our system versus the other systems that are out there. And we're seeing these falls committee meetings are now virtual, right? So you're presenting into a virtual climate well, do your visuals support that? How are you demonstrating it virtually, right? And so the ones that are investing in those type of ways of disseminating information, that's critical because again, it's never gonna change. So I think the, the new thing is just how do I present virtually? 
I, I think I think there's such a premium on creativity today more than ever. Uh, we've engaged just in the last two weeks with two of the uh, largest med tech, two of the top ten med tech companies in in the world. Okay, and they've come to us under the auspices of we're thinking about doing this. We've never done this before. We're looking for some guidance. Can you, is your organization or do you have other resources that can help us guide through this? Because frankly, we're having some challenges. Um, and so there's such a premium. Now, again, if that's happening in that top 1% of organizations, again, two of the top 10 largest organizations came to us, okay, and asked this question, what's happening to the bottom 30% that maybe are a little bit more nimble and can incorporate creativity a little bit, but a little bit more aptly, but are they understanding the premium to do so, right? And that's why I think it's really this emphasis and this premium on creativity in 2022 is what's going to separate the successors from the losers, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those larger companies, you know, just hold tightly to, you know, we talked about the 1980 playbook and a variety of things, but when you keep talking to them about we need to change how this is really working how do you really get there it took four tries with one company and finally they just sort of literally threw pieces of paper up in the air and said we're going to go with your suggestion and when i saw them a few months later they were smiling because it was almost like a release they let go of some of those old thoughts and you know, get out there, you know, this is the way you're going to just like you did with your, you know, device ideas, you need to do the same thing with how you're doing your company ideas. Yeah, we, we do a lot of work with um, not just in med tech, but also in like healthcare IT and other um, ancillary areas. And what we find is that the, the health, the folks that are in like healthcare staff um, are not a lot of dyed in the wool healthcare people. They tend to be more tech folks that come into the industry. And I will tell you, their marketing efforts, their sales efforts are phenomenal. Like they are great. And they're not, they're really not that different than how you would approach a, um, right, if we were selling Slack, right, or some other software into a company, like it's a similar process. And I know a lot of people can say, hold on now, like, but we're talking about widgets, right? I'm selling surgical robotics or whatever. And I don't agree that it's that different. I think ultimately what we're finding is that the buyers of healthcare IT solutions are the same people that are buying a new knee implant or a new fill in the blank. And they, they're being shown what they want in terms of how they want to consume information and, and get up to speed by these healthcare SaaS companies. And so if you think you can run that 1980s playbook, you're going to get smoked. Like you're just, because, because the moat is growing bigger and bigger. Um, the other thing that I would say, and Mike, I think it was you that brought it up about like, this is the way that everything's going to be. All of this is um, depersonalizing to a great degree, right? We're not seeing each other face to face. We're not having, like I think about when, uh, when I was back at Medtronic and we were flying all over meeting with, with docs, we had dinner before the meeting, we'd have the meeting, there'd be small, because I talked to a wall, right, as y'all will know, and like, so there'd be small talk before the meeting and after the meeting and, hey, how do we do? And, and a lot of that opportunity 
to build rapport has gone away. And so one of the things that I think we need to emphasize is how do you use technology to, to get done what needs to get done, but also to build rapport? Because again, I don't want to go too far down the, you know, the doom and gloom trail, but people are lonely, people feel disconnected, people feel like they're overwhelmed and overworked and not respected for what they're doing. And so if, if we're bringing to the market innovative products and services, things that will benefit the, our, our health system uh, partners, and we can build that kind of rapport with somebody to help them, help them know that like we understand what their needs are, we're trying to help them be successful, I guarantee you that is a recipe for success. Understand them, build that rapport, use the little snippets of time, be on your Zoom calls early, that sort of thing, to, to then earn the opportunity to go longer and to get people out of the mentality that I see so many people in right now, which is like, just execute. Like I have too much stuff to do. Let me execute. So make it personal and be creative to catch their attention. And then I think the sales process is probably easier now than it was back beforehand because other people aren't doing that. I I wanted to ask Skender, when you talked about these people looking for extra solutions or input on creativity, can you, can you, uh, go into a little more detail on that one. Are they looking for creativity in terms of how they manage education, webinars, communication? What, are, what When they're asking you for this help, can you give us a little more detail? Yeah, it, it's, it's literally about what it comes down to with most companies. It's still about the bottom line. How do we continue to grow our bottom line? Um, and through creative means. Some of it was, how do we get to customers in more interesting ways? How can we do, um, can we do more webinars? Is that something that that is effective? Should we be doing more meetings? Should we be more in attendance at some of the various association meetings and being greater sponsors to them? Um, in the orthopedic space where they've had just such challenge over the last two months because of uh, the coronavirus challenges to elective procedures, but then those elective procedures, they can never rebound quite the way they'd expected because of the challenges with the labor market. So is there ways that we could get creative working with the provider community and bring them new solutions have our attorneys walk through all the T's and C's to see, is there a way we can come up with a solution that's a win-win for the provider and saying, you need these elective procedures to go off we need these elective procedures to go off. How can we find a way to do so together? And you know, some of it was literally just brainstorming. Um, some of it was networking. Some of it is just a, a little bit of how-to. We, we were thinking of this. Is that something that you're seeing others do and, and advocating? And really, you know, again, everybody thinks of these, these organizations sitting on this ivory tower because they command such, and they wield such power and command such revenue, et cetera. But we've just exited this period where everybody's kind of leveled in the fact that we're all trying to figure out what to do next. What do we do now? You know, I I think that's the key message is it wasn't like they came to us and we didn't have all the answers for them. There's more brainstorming of maybe this is something we could take a look at. And it's more of just their approach. Whereas I think three years ago, the big only got bigger and they just continued to subside and exist by thinking, let me just outpower everybody. And the fact that now that's not working, this bullying tactic in its simplicity just isn't working the way it used to. I think there's some of that mentality of maybe we just need to rethink some things a little bit. 
You you made some great points because I, I was going to make some of these points maybe in, you know, our 2022 and beyond thing. But since you brought it up is you really need to understand what's going on in those communities that those hospitals, IDN stuff serve because they're so underserved. What if they helped with a, you know, a, a food program or they helped with clinics that would do screenings? It could be the so-and-so, you know, screening program. But there's a lot of dollars that can be infused to really help. And it doesn't have anything to do with your product. It's the right thing to do to partner and help and infuse things to take that sort of stress off of so many pressures. Now that's an, that's an, that's an interesting, if you don't mind, Scott, that's an interesting point <laughs> because Scott was just talking about the whole issue of rapport. And, you know, we think of that in terms of our face to face with a, a customer or a group of customers or whatever. And when I talked to Brad Ansley of Richardson sales performance, they talked about building that into their sales process because the virtual sales process. And he even talked about that too. Like you don't have that when you're walking down the hall with the nurse to the lunchroom where you're going to set things up and you're creating this, you're warming things up, you're creating a little rapport and you're putting your, you know, materials together in the lunchroom or whatever. That's a very important time. But what if you could, going back to what Barbara's talking about, the, the community, what if you can use social impact marketing to start to build rapport with your organization as a whole to show people that look we're yeah we want to make money but we also want we also support the community uh, I, so I, I don't know if that's a way for an organization as a whole to to create some rapport with social impact marketing i know that um you know when i talked to david aker he he thought that was going to be a really important trend yeah i think just a couple of thoughts on that. So number one, um, if you look at what Medtronic was doing a couple of years ago with value-based um, care and how they were partnering up with health systems, they were doing that and, and it worked really well. The other thing is- They were basically building out cath labs. Basic, yeah. I mean, they were, so they were doing that and, and they were actually doing, like going, I don't want to say fully at risk, but going pretty substantially at risk mm -hmm. with health systems they did it. We got, when I was you know, back at Mercy, we got pretty far. We didn't end up signing the deal, but went pretty far with them. I think uh, Geisinger may have done a, done something with them, but, but it was really getting tight. And the thing that I would say is the type, your sales team looks different when you're thinking about how do we stand up a clinic for essentially what's market development, right? How do we go and find patients that are indicated for condition X that helps them get care by the way you're using our product so it helps us out too so like mm -hmm. that's a very different animal than what has traditionally been you know i'm thinking of or products where you're like running up and down the hallway trying to talk to dr smith you know because she does x number of procedures and you want to win her volume like it's that's a that is a very different conversation and i think it changes the sales process and that it probably makes it longer it takes a different kind of salesperson because it, they have to be a higher level and it's so sticky, right? If you have a strategic alliance and the CEO of Medtronic, Omar Ishrak, is having dinner with the CEO of Mercy, Lynn Britton, which happens, right? Happened. That's a that's a relationship that makes that makes it much deeper, 
right? And again, we didn't we didn't uh, strike the deal, but that's what the sales process looks like. And so I say that to the last point, and then I'll stop talking because I'm too caffeinated. But the <laughs> the reality is, if you're the CEO or you're a senior sales leader in a smaller company, let's say you have ten million dollars in in revenue, you're trying to grow, you see these kinds of opportunities, these creative things as being something that's viable. There's nothing keeping you from doing it, right? Because mm-hmm. everything has been leveled, and you will, you don't need mercy, right? With four to four hospitals, you can take a smaller health system with three to four hospitals. But if you get that level of of rapport and depth, your your business is growing tremendously. So if, don't miss those opportunities. If you're a small company, you have to embrace the idea that chaos is the great equalizer, uh, and yeah. and that's what we're seeing, right? There is chaos. <laughs> across the spectrum it is the great equalizer and yes you may only have seven million dollars in revenue and you're competing in a space with three companies that do seven million dollars a day in revenue um but if you can find a way to get creative and like you said the best way to achieve sales is to find yourself on the same side of the table as your customer right in some way shape or form if you can place yourself there whether you're seven million dollars or you're 70 million or 700 million there's still an opportunity to find this creative element using the chaos of today to, 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 to really advance, advance your, 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 your positioning with that customer to say, I'm here for you. Yeah, and Scandi, what I would say on top of that is, you know, forget salesmanship, sales techniques, marketing, uh, neuro selling, whatever, whatever the latest and greatest is on how to manipulate the mind is all bullshit if you don't deliver extraordinary value. (laughs) So the first thing, this just, this, and and the extraordinary value is twofold. It's as an individual, the salesperson's dead. There's no room for salespeople anymore. What we need are authorities who understand their markets and their customers and their specific impact on those customers better than the customer understands so that they are looked at as an authority. And so if you are looked at and looked up to in your space, that's how you redefine your game. And people can do that. A new person entering a market, if he or she knows more and can demonstrate that, they'll win every time. And that's the beauty about this environment is excellence is winning. Thanks for tuning in to the MedTech Business Academy. This conversation is a two-parter, so please be sure to tune in next week as we continue the discussion of MedTech's past, present, and future. Continue to earn your MBA with the MedTech Business Academy.